are live, Business and Buckets, episode 110 on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Gotta spend it with family, loved ones. You already know the deal. Uh, but I had a great time, you know, living here in the desert. Didn't have the, the family get together. But got to fly to Indianapolis the day after Thanksgiving with, with a coworker and some friends. And uh, really got to experience downtown Indy. That was a ton of fun. That's my type of place. Nice restaurants. Nice places to get a drink or two. A cigar lounge. We got to catch the Pacers game on Friday night. It was Pacers versus Nets. You know, I'm not a fan of either team put down some same game parlay action. Didn't hit on anything, but it, it was a good time, man. Good experience in there. Awesome arena. It's very similar to the, the footprint arena here where the Suns play. Um, got to see two of the best guys in the world play ball, right? Got to watch Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving uh, with the whole suspension thing. It was good to see him back on the floor. And then just got to enjoy the weekend, get some good food. Um, eat the famous shrimp cocktail. I think it's called Earl's. Um, great steak dinner. Nice fancy dinner. Spent too much money. And then Monday night football. Your Pittsburgh Steelers getting the dub. Kenny Pickett doing the damn thing. The box score didn't represent amazing stats, but that guy showed out on prime time on the road. Uh, so super excited about the growth week in and week out by Mr. Kenny Pickett. We're not here to talk NBA. We're not here to talk NFL. Just wanted to give you a little flow on how this weekend was. Uh, didn't have a recap show on UFC Fight Night. What is this? Vegas 65. So we'll recap that on this week's show. And then talking awesome. I mean, for a Fight Night card, a deep card in Orlando. No more Vegas Fight Nights. So let's talk everything MMA. But first, let's talk Fueled Supplements. The Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. So if you guys are an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking to perfect uh, for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you guys covered. Choose from their premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. They got this new pre-workout called Powerhouse. It's a kind of a collab product with... Uh, Jimmy House, awesome athlete, awesome dude. Excited to get to meet him while I'm here in the desert. But took it for leg day before before my trip. Had to crush a good workout, hit the sauna, hit the cold plunge, and that shit had me fired up without the crazy, you know, cracked out feel. I posted it on my Instagram. Check it out. Go to fueledsupplements.com. Promotion code buckets for fifteen percent off. Once again, promotion code buckets. B u c k e t s. And we're on the last few episodes here. I would love to have the rebranding completely done by the end of the year, starting into January, which would have given me two years of business and buckets. Now the business and buckets um, podcast network will be growing into two new podcasts, an MMA only podcast like I've been doing, uh, branded separately than the business side. I have some episodes I haven't quite launched yet because I wanted to do it under the new name. Don't want to tell you the names yet because I don't want them to get taken but lots of exciting things coming on. Your boy has had a lot on his plate. Excited to uh, see the hard work pay off here. And the new mics, you know what I mean? Love the new mic. You now I have to have this weird angle with my mics. Um, lots of fights been booked, man. Lots of good fights been booked. We got Tyson Nam back in the octagon versus Bruno Silva. That's going to be a scrap. 
Kai Kara France taking on Alex Perez. Kai Kara France looking to get back on track after making that title run. Uh, another good flyweight scrap, Manel Kopp versus David Dvorak. I mean, these are some high, high-level fights with a lot on the line. Guys in their primes trying to make that title run. We have Punahili Soriano versus Roman Kopolov. This is going to be a, a freaking... Someone's getting knocked out. That's a banger. We got Odie Osborne, Dennis Bondar, Dan Ige um, versus Damon Jackson. Love to see Dan Ige get back in there, get back, that momentum back. Um, William Knight versus Marcin Procneo. Another banger. Scrap some big dogs. The Nurmagomedovs, they never stop, man. We got Umar Nurmagomedov taking on Rayoni Barcelos. Barcelos in a new camp. I mean, a lot of stake on the line there. How many Dagestanis are going to take titles in the UFC? We have Derek Brunson pulling out of the fight, which would have been that which is this weekend, uh, against Jack Hermanson. So he's going to take on Roman Delidzi. We'll break that down later. We got Drew Dober. Bobby Green is back. I mean, you want to talk about a fucking banger alert. That's going to be a fan favorite. We have a lot of good women fights coming up this weekend, but also booked was Andrea Lee versus Macy Barber. Some young prospects there. For the light heavyweights, we get Lionheart, Anthony Smith versus Jamal, Sweet Dreams Hill. I mean, come on. That, that's got so much potential. And Gilbert Burns not getting the Jorge Masvidal fight. He gets Neo Magni, though, um, January 21st in Rio de Janeiro, UFC 283. I just love watching Gilbert Burns fight, man. No one wants to fight him. He's a full package. I know he lost to Kamzat. It was this close. But he gets to square up against Neo Magni. Still a tough fight. And then some really dramatic things going on. Supposedly, if Francis Ngannou is healthy, John Jones will fight Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title March 14th in Las Vegas, UFC 285. And if he is not healthy, they are going to plan for John Jones and Curtis Blades. I don't know what the future holds, but if there's any opportunity, your boy is going to UFC 285 March 14th. I mean, are you kidding me? Gary Prashaka out of UFC 282, so bad shoulder injury. Uh, the UFC saying one of the worst shoulder injuries that they've seen, so clearly not going to be able to recover, not even having an interim title, so he will vacate the title. That's some, the, some a way Yuri Prashaka would do that, some samurai code shit, right? Um, but insert Megamed Ankalaev, but not against Glover, against Jan Blakovich, UFC 282, the UFC offered the short turnaround for Glover to take on Ankalaev, but to get a completely new opponent, you would have thought Jan Blakovich, he would have taken on Jan Blakovich, but they want Ankalaev in there. So to do that, Glover said I needed more time, but they did not want to do that. This is the headliner of the card. You have these cards in place. That's what makes the UFC so good. Consistent fights every damn near week, you know, multiple a month. You take this headliner out, that really ruins the pay-per-view. They're probably not going to get, get many buys. So they're not trying to be rude to Glover. Glover is going to take it a certain way. A legit UFC OG veteran, been through the ups and downs of you know multiple weight classes. Um, so you know, not very fun for Glover in his camp. But we are getting Magomed Ankalaev, Jan Blakovich. I would assume that maybe even Glover gets the winner of that. 
um, based on, you know, Yuri Prashaka's recovery timeline. But the way the samurai, Yuri and the shit he's done, who knows? He might, he might surprise people and come back sooner than people expect. So lots of big names, lots of drama there. We also have Amir Albazi versus Alessandro Costa. See Amir Albazi back in. Uh, Jessica Penne versus Tabitha Ricci. And not fully official, but rumored that Henry Cejudo versus Aljamain Sterling will be the bantamweight title, supposedly in March, probably on that John Jones card in, U- in Vegas. And that um, Sean O'Malley will wait till the summer to fight the winner. The only thing with that is supposedly Aljo would rather fight uh, Sean O'Malley for the money because uh, Henry Cejudo does, isn't as a big of a draw. In my mind, he just wants to fight Sean because Henry's probably the tougher fight. But also is the winner of this, you know, I would like to think, you know, real quick pick here, Henry Cejudo would win that fight. But if Aljo wins that fight, there's no way he's going to fight again in July. He's already bitching about not wanting to fight on a quick turnaround. But hey, if, if it is sugar, the Sugar Show and it is a big payday, you never know. But lots of drama there. It'll be interesting to see how things shake out in bantamweight. And Umar Nurmagomedov, big showing gets Rayoni Barcelos. I mean, he's going to be right up there for a title shot, trying to skip the line of the, the same old names. Then we have Nikita Krylov, Ryan Spann, the big dogs, Superman Spann, the vicious knockout. He had Dominic Cruz already getting a fight back in the octagon. And then Alir Latifi suspended three months after not disclosing a staph infection. He fought with staph infection. That's contagious. It's not, you know, it's against the law. I know that you only get paid so much. He didn't want to lose his payday, but uh, he's going to have a three-month suspension. And I was going to preview Bellator and the PFL, but now we get to talk about it and recap them. I did not get to watch. I did watch the Bellator fights. I did not get to watch the PFL I was in Indianapolis, and I ain't paying no PFL pay-per-view now. Come on. Plus, your boy's having a good time in Indianapolis, holiday weekend. Um, what you know? What was I going to stream it on the phone? I think it was Friday night. I was at the NBA game. Yeah, not happening. East Coast sports times are different, though, man. Late-ass games. Monday night football getting over at midnight. Uh, the basketball game, damn near the same thing. It's, it's just different. I like the Mountain West time zone, the West Coast time zones a lot better. Not have to have those late, late night sports. All right. So, Bellator 288. Huge card for Bellator, man. I mean, since I've been a major MMA fan and not just UFC trying to broaden my horizon, I mean, I always watched like Elite... Coming up, there was all these random promotions that kind of lived here and there. Elite XE being one off the top of my head. I've always kind of tuned in, glory, things like that. Uh, but until really I started this podcast, I didn't really care about PFL and Bellator. They're making a name by uh, for themselves by signing a lot of ex-UFC guys, guys that are unhappy with their contracts, just unhappy with the UFC brass, or maybe um, they just can't compete at the level the UFC wants, been knocked out too many times, they're 50 years old, you know, that type of thing. <clears throat> but this is one of the better Bellator cards since I've been tuning in. I mean, lots of potential on this card. And would I say it's, it was underwhelming? Not necessarily, but um, just a lot of action. So the big dogs, we had Vadim ne- Nemkov taking on Corey Anderson. I bet on Nem- uh, Vadim Nemkov. He was the underdog. First fight got 
canceled or ruled a no contest because accidental clash of heads. You hate that. But this is the two, probably the best fighters in Bellator. And uh, Vadim, Vadim Nepkov had to dig deep. Corey Anderson uh, battled him. He was able to grapple, was able to strike. I was just a very impressed by how, how well-rounded he is and, and how, he, how he continues to perform in Bellator. And this is a guy that I think that could compete in the UFC, which there's not a lot of those types of guys, unless you say Michael Chandler. But even then, you know, he's been, he's been trying to make a lot more money than he has tried to win a title. And has suffered a lot of losses. But we have um, Vadim Nebkov beating Corey Anderson. He has beat Phil Davis, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis twice, Felipe Linz, right after he had come from that PFL million. He lost to Yuri Prashaka and Risen, round one uh, TKO. But that's when he was a lot younger. I mean, he's a lot younger fighter. He just turned 30 this June. Solid fighter, man. I've liked what I've seen. I've only watched him since probably the, the second Phil Davis fight because I loved Phil Davis in the UFC. Uh, but great win for him uh, by uh, to defeat Corey Anderson, although it did go to decision. He had a couple chances to get the finish, but uh, that was a great headliner. And then again, the, the Nurmagomedovs. Um, I watched Usman's, one of his fights. I went to the event in Tacoma, Washington. Um, first Bellator event live, which was pretty cool. Because uh, Khabib was there, and it's just a lot more intimate crowd than a UFC event, which probably hosts... I mean, it's been multiple sellouts. I should know this. T-Mobile Arena capacity. T-Mobile, 20,000 is probably around 22,000. Average Bellator showing probably 2,000 max. So, you know, you're around, you get to see Khabib right there. Uh, you know, he was cornering a couple guys, obviously had Usman on there and Usman was just tearing people apart in his post-fight conference. He wanted to get a chance at Patricky for the title, but there's a lot of guys just like in the UFC in that bantamweight division, uh, that basically had deserved a shot and have has more fights or legacy in Bellator. Well, they gave it to Usman. And, uh, as I expected, he defeats, uh, Patricky v unanimous decision. And he was, you know, pretty heavily whipping ass throughout most of the fight. Um, Pitbull's tough though. He's been in a lot of wars. He has a ton of experience. I don't think he's necessarily in his prime anymore. Uh, and, and he tested Usman. I thought Usman would get the finish personally, uh, but still good win. He is the Bellator champion, bright future ahead. It'll be interesting to see what his contract situation is. Is he interested in going to the UFC? Um, you would think so maybe because Umar is there. I, I mean, I don't really know, um, what the deal is with that, but uh, I would love to see him in the UFC. And then, we had Tamir Kurziev defeat Daniel Weichel via unanimous decision. Uh, Tamir looked really good. Some you know younger undefeated fighters keeping the dubs on their records. And then we have officially, you know, Bellator ain't, ain't taking no time, announcing that Yoel Romero gets to fight the winner of Nemkov Anderson, which is Nemkov, and uh, that's going to be interesting. Um, you know, both can grapple, both can strike, but Yoel doesn't do a lot unless you come at him. I'm interested to go see what Vadim Nebkov's game plan is going to be because he's never fought someone like that. Usually those those people are more willing. And, you know, Romero's old. Look at him in his last fight. He, he comes out with the blast of explosion for one kick, couple punches. He's going to look to get that finish. Um, I'm interested to see what Nemkov does, but I would assume Nemkov gets that win. But uh, they already they already announced that. And then 
Fedor versus Ryan Bader at Bellator 290 for Fedor's retirement fight. I didn't even know Fedor was still fighting. I thought he was retired. Uh, but this is going to be on CBS, so big deal for Bellator for the heavyweight title. The fact that Ryan Bader is still their heavyweight champion, no offense to Ryan Bader, but I don't know. It's kind of crazy. I'm not too interested in that. It's just a big name, legacy type thing. Um, I'm more interested in Yoel Romero, Vadim Nemkov. But Bellator, they got some things going on. And speaking about other promotions, we had the PFL World Championships. They have a season each year. Towards the end of the year, you get to go for the titles for the million dollars. Um, it was a pay-per-view, first time. I think it was $45 um, and, and was a 5 p.m. Pacific kickoff. And, uh, you know, the, the, the best of the best for PFL were, were on action. There was uh, the card built around a lot of ex-UFC fighters as well. So we're just going to start at the top. We had Kayla Harrison in defeat. I would love to see... You know, watch this a person statistically round by round. It was very close, but Pacheco ended up winning by decision decision. And it seems like, you know, as close as the rounds were, Kayla probably won the early rounds, but Pacheco really put it on in rounds four and five, which are those championship rounds. Those are very crucial, especially how close the decision was. Um, I haven't watched the MMA hour with Kayla. I'm sure she's going to say that she, she thought it went her way. You know, just from the stats, it looked like it was uh, the right decision. And uh, you got to finish those rounds strong. But if you can't beat Larissa Pacheco, how are you going to beat Amanda Nunez? How are you going to beat those type of women that you say you could beat? You're the best in MMA. I've always been doubtful. I feel like she kind of has a skill set to get there. Uh, but this just proves to me I just don't think that she can beat Nunez. Maybe she could beat... Um... Oh, why am I blinking on her name? Um... Let's see. Uh, Cyborg. Cyborg's older, right? She's past her time. I don't think she could beat her in prime. She is 37. 37 years old. She is almost 38. Kayla Harrison is just, you know, maybe in the women's side of thing right towards the end of her prime, like her best of her best years at 32. Big difference, though, for, for the women's thing and, and all the wars that Cyborg's been in. Um, but that's what these fighters live off, right? They're trying to get the big money fights. They had been an offer for Kayla to still fight Cyborg. I think it's a million-dollar show, $2 million for the winner and a car. A Rolls-Royce? How much does that shit cost? I don't know, but a lot of money. Uh, so basically the biggest money fight for a woman, Kayla Harrison, Chris Cyborg. Hopefully that happens. Still willing to have the fight, although Pacheco beat her. Um, obviously they do the seasons, they run that tournament format, so I don't think there will be an immediate rematch here, maybe there will be, um, I think it'll be tournament style again, still trying to figure out how they determine those things, but a huge shocker in the PFL, uh, Brendan, uh, Lunane, Luganane, I can't remember his name, he used to fight in the UFC, but looking at it, it's always way different than the way they say it. But he got a big win, uh, round four TKO over Bubba Jenkins, veteran, been there, done that. And uh, Brendan has definitely improved a lot. I watched the semifinal fight, I believe it was against Ray. Um, he definitely seems like one of the better fighters in the PFL. And then these other title guys, I honestly don't know a lot about. Like Anti Delija, round one TKO. Um, that, that's got to be nice, million dollars worth of 
got paid a million for a round. And then Methus, he beat Methus Scheifel. We had Oliver Aubin Mercier with a round two K, uh, knockout over Stevie Ray. Sadibo Sai with the decision. Definitely had success in the early rounds versus Delano Taylor. Robert Wilkinson had a round three stoppage. The ref didn't let round three start because of a huge gash on Omari Akhmedov's head. I had picked Akhmedov and Stevie Ray, but Robert Wilkinson looking good. Gets the, the millie. And then we had some non-title fights. No million dollars on the table. But recently signed Aspen Ladd wins by decision. She actually gets to make weight, actually gets to fight, which is great. Um, definitely had a decisive first and third. The second definitely was a lot closer against Julia Budd. Pretty high-level competition for the PFL. You know, that could be a position where Aspen Ladd gets to fight Kayla Harrison or Pacheco next year in the tournament. And then Marlon Marias, legendary UFC fighter, definitely has his chin. Uh, he's, you know, you've been knocked out a lot. Sometimes it just takes another hit. Dominates another Marias, Shaman Marias. But Shaman gets the round three TKO after he'd been dominated again. Cody Garbrandt type of thing. You get knocked out too many times. You're just more prone to knockout. Still can fight, but uh, he's got to get the wins early. And then Jeremy Stevens, ex-UFCer, loses to Nathan Schulte, round two submission. Jeremy Stevens is on a skid. He was fighting high level not that long ago. Multiple losses in a row now. But, you know, that's probably the best PFL card you'll get. Championships, UFC X's. But I'm still not paying pay-per-view money for it. I would have rather paid for that 288 Bellator card. Um, but hey, more, more UFC, more action. I'm going to try to dive and get more adverse into these in the new, new coming year. And I'm sure we'll see more and more competition from the USC as MMA is becoming a career path. I've talked about it all the time. If I'm a legit collegiate athlete in wrestling, my best opportunity before MMA was to go to the Olympics. Maybe you get one Olympic in. Hopefully you get a gold medal. You make a decent amount of money. But the amount of money it takes to, you know, coaches, managers, training, recovery, diet, you're not making any money. You're going to have to do all these, you know, uh, training seminars where you show people how to do skill or um, drills. You're going to have to do your own OnlyFans or something to sell your, your wrestling technique or diets just to make some extra bread just to survive. Now, I could decide not to, I could do collegiate wrestling if I'm good enough to win, or I could bounce out and just start doing MMA. I already have the wrestling background, work on my boxing, work on my jujitsu, maybe throw in some judo, some Muay Thai, whatever it is. And I could be well-rounded early in my twenties, compete like hell, my late twenties, earn a title shot in my thirties. These kids are coming up MMA trained. These gyms are preparing them. The gyms are getting things figured out. The knowledge base is there. You know, there's things like podcasts, things like uh, drill videos, whatever it is that these guys can learn that was not there before. So uh, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be more and more competition. There's just going to be so many guys the UFC can't roster them all. Unless they make more weight divisions like boxing. And I really hope that that's not the case. Elsewhere, we had also this random boxing event where Greg Hardy fought... Haseem Rahman Jr., who was supposed to box Jake Paul. He stepped in for Vitor Belfort. Greg Hardy gets an early second round knockdown, ends up winning by unanimous decision. 
Greg Hardy is massive, man. Um, props for Hasim though, getting knocked down after the second round, coming in battling. That versus Jake Paul would have been pretty fucking sick. Um, and then Dylan Dennis booked against KSI January 14th for all you celebrity boxing fanatics. And then in boxing, we have some legit, some legit things happening. I mean, uh, I don't remember there was a, a this big of a name boxing bout officially done, but we have Gervonta Davis taking up Hector Garcia January 6th, January 7th in a tune-up fight before he fights Ryan Garcia. And Ryan Garcia is looking to get a tune-up fight as well. So um, that'll be at a 136-pound catchweight bout. Dazen, Showtime are in agreement. It'll be in Vegas sometime in April. So he's taking January for a tune-up. Uh, Ryan Garcia is looking to do a tune-up. We won't break that down yet, but I'm really, really, really intrigued to see how that plays out. That is going to be a ton of fun. Some big, big names. And the winner here is going to have one hell of a career. We'll say that. This might be a trilogy type of thing. But enough about that shit. Let's talk about what really matters. The UFC. We had UFC Fight Night Vegas 65. I went 6-3 and three on my picks in this card. Some decent wins by Miles Johns over Vince Morales. We're going to start in the prelims. We had Brady Heaston, Spokane, Stan alum. I'm just kidding. He trains out of Spokane, Washington. Unanimous decision over Fernie Garcia, the ultimate fighter runner-up. Um, Brady's tough, man. Fernie got a huge counter-left hook that rocked Brady early. Made him go down to wrestling. I thought it might have been over. My uh, parlays were started with Brady early, and I'm just like, oh, no, here we go. Uh, fucking check hook. Boom. Sat him on his ass. Um, but to be able to dig deep, recover, and he just put it on Fernie pretty much the rest of the fight. Fernie tried to grappling with him. He said, nah, bro, I'm the better grappler. And, uh, it was a good performance. He's so young in his career. I think he's 23. You know, instead of thinking, let's just, you know, someone will fact check me. No, dude, he's, you know, 22 and a half. Let's see. 23. November 19th, just turned 23, barely 23 years old. Uh, kid's a stud, trained out there with Michael Chiesa and squad. Statistically, Brady landed 56 total, 19 significant strikes, had three takedowns, although it was eight attempts. You know, some of those were were uh, just kind of, you know, keep you thinking attempts. He did have a submission attempt as well, while Fernie landed 86 total and 21 significant strikes with a takedown submission attempt and a reversal of his own. But Brady is now on a two, or is um, Brady now starts a new winning streak. He is one and one in the UFC. Fernie is now on a two-fight losing streak, and he is one and two in the UFC. Definitely in desperation mode. So what's next? I would love to see uh, Brady take on Mana Martinez, and for Fernie, if he still is in the UFC, Ludwig Shalonian. I believe he was on the same Ultimate Fighter season as Brady. That would be sufficient. Then we add the ultimate fighter, Champion, who had beat Brady um, right after him with a unanimous decision over Kevin Natividad. And uh, just like the Brady fight, Kevin had Ricky rocked, man. He had him in a, with a big shot. He hit him with a flying knee. But Tricky Ricky, you know, his nickname's Pretty Ricky. I like to call him Tricky Ricky. 
He's a savage. He'll take that damage, get some more paint on his face, and he's going to come at you with flurries. The pace of this fight was fucking insane. To give you perspective, the Brady fight, though, went to a unanimous decision. Brady landed 56 total strikes. Fernie landed 86. Well, Ricky landed 170 total, 68 of those significant, so not as many big-time shots, but peppering with the volume. We're inside the cage. He's peppering you. You're on top of him. He's peppering you from downtown, throwing some fucking elbows, reversing you, getting some more. He's always active. I love to see that. He had two takedowns in five attempts, which definitely isn't like his strong suit, but was able to get it, got a submission attempt, and three reversals. This guy's always fucking moving. His hips do not sit in, a, in one spot. Kevin landed 61 total and 41 significant strikes, so not nearly the volume that, that Tricky Ricky had. And then he had seven takedowns, 13 attempts. These guys are both trying to grapple. Neither of them were great at it. It's kind of funny to watch. But he did have that knockdown, um, which, which made things interesting in this fight. Ricky starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 and one in the UFC. Kevin extends his losing streak to three. He hasn't got a UFC victory yet, which is definitely uh, brutal. And this is a deep, deep division, so you don't know how much lifelines these guys will get. What's next for the Ultimate Fighter champion? Well, I think Tony Gravely is going to be a great fight. A guy that's been there, a battle-tested guy. This is going to help him level up. You know, Ricky obviously has suffered a loss, had a victory. Um, so, you know, you need to start getting some some quality wins. This, this division is not shallow. You, there's, you know, guys like Tony Gravely down in the rankings. And if Kevin is still in the UFC, he could take on Brandon Davis. Then my upset special on the card. I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. The dogs are coming out to eat. I bet more underdogs they didn't all hit. But Jennifer Maya with the unanimous decision over Marina Moroz. And uh, Maya looked good, man. She was pushing the pace. She was dealing more damaging shots than Moroz. Moroz is tough, though. I've only seen a couple of her fights, and I didn't think she had the, the level of striking that Jennifer did, clearly. You know, just the MMA skill. When I say MMA skill, I'm like the up against the cage, the the clinching, the, you know, kind of trying to get a takedown uh, attempt while I'm still punching you, getting some good shots in. She's just so well-rounded. She's fought the best. She's gone up and tried to fight the bullet. And we obviously know how that goes when, when most women try to fight the bullet. Valentina Shevchenko. She's just got those MMA skills. But Moreau's man, is tough. She weathered so many storms that she kept coming. Boom, boom. You know, Jennifer's piecing her up. She's still coming forward. Still coming forward. You know, getting her jabs in. She had the longer reaches. Uh, but it just wasn't good enough. Maya was too talented. She's too experienced. Um, but I believe Moroz is a little younger. Let's look. Can't remember. And we might see more of her. Because she snuck right into the rankings. So obviously she's not going to be ranked anymore. The Iron Lady, 31, so she's not super young, but I, I was impressed, although she did get pieced up, if that makes any sense. Jennifer now start. oh, well, it's first. Jennifer landed 117 total strikes, 109 significant. Like I said, the more damaging shots, she was putting it on. Marina had 84 total and 80 significant strikes. You know, I, I, I don't think most of those strikes were significant, but uh, statistics are tough. Jennifer now starts a new winning streak. She's 1-2 in 2022. She stays at number 8 in the rankings, while Moroz has her three-fight winning streak come to an end. 
and she exits the top 15. What's next for these ladies? I would love to see Jennifer Maya, Alexa Grasso, uh, somebody that's been there, you know, not to be rude, but kind of now you're in a, a gatekeeper situation. Alexa Grasso, an upcoming prospect who has looked amazing, stylistically fucking banger. And for Moroz, I'd like to see her square up against Melissa Gatto. That would be the one to do. And then moving into the main card, we had Charles Johnson with a split decision over Zalgas Zumagalov. I had to watch this back. I can't remember what I was doing. This was two Saturdays ago. I was doing something, so I had to watch it back. And I saw the split decision before I got to watch the fight. And this was another underdog. I had Zalgas as an underdog. I was pretty damn confident in it. I was like, I bet you those judges fucked him in a close decision. And it was a close decision, but they didn't fuck him. I mean, Zalga started great, man. He started great. He is such a small guy, even for a flyweight. He made Charles look bigger, longer. And he would come in with some explosive shots. He rocked Charles a couple times. They grappled. They really went everywhere. Charles obviously just coming off the fight against, uh, what's the young blood that's calling everybody out? Straight wrestler. Golly. Um, Mohamed Makayev. He had the wrestling takedown defense on point, right? So he didn't let Zalgas just straight grapple him. He was able to reverse him and get on top in the second round. I think he just wore on Zalgas. This fight had some weird fucking things happening to it, though. Um, basically, Charles seemed to have injured his leg in the third. That's way past the point. Very close fight. But Zalgas definitely won round one. I thought round two was a complete toss-up, but Charles stole round three, so I think that was good enough for the decision. But there was breaks. I don't even know. I want to say four breaks. Groin shots. It was Charles smoked Zalgas for groin shot, like, fucking bad. Took him almost a full five minutes. Start the fight. Boom! Zalgas smokes Charles in the fucking groin. We have a more big break. Then it's an eye poke. We take a break. You know, Zalgas gets eye poke. They don't call it. It's just a fucking... I feel like a lot of these stoppages, I guess, benefited Zalgas because he was so tired, but it definitely ruined the flow. Someone would be dominating, boom, groin shot, have to stop it all. So it, it had a weird flow too. It was just a fucking, one of those weird fights. You have that many stoppages, um, but it was close. Like I said, Zalgas won round one. Round two was so fucking close. And Charles won round three, even though his leg's all fucked up. He's, like, stomping it. I think he hit that nerve, and his leg went numb or whatever. And he just kept fucking fighting and figured it out. So tough, scrappy fight. But Zalgas, man, you look at this guy's record. Let's pull it up. Instead of talking about it, let's be about it. You know what I mean? Zumagalov. Um, you look at this guy's record. Obviously, he's taking some fat L's. Uh, one, two, three L's. Five of his last six L's. These are all against pretty high-level competition. Very close fights. Charles Johnson, split decision. Jeff Molina, split decision. He got fucked up by Manel Kopp. He beat Jerome Rivera. Amir Albazi, Raulian Paiva via unanimous decisions. But he's been in all these fights. It's been so close. He's got to find a way to finish, though. You're going to have to. And it might be too late. But statistically, Charles landed 141 total and 115 significant strikes. He was 0 for 2 in his own takedown attempts. While Zalgas landed 141 total, 119 significant strikes, had a takedown in four attempts. So you can see how close that is. The same amount of total. Zalgas supposedly had uh, four more significant strikes and had that takedown attempt. 
So Charles now starts a new winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC both this year. Zalgas, brutal three-fight losing streak. We just went over that. Two split decisions in there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next for these guys. I could see Zalgas fighting Sue Matahari. That's a tough fight, though. That guy's good. He's coming off a loss against, I think, Schnell. That crazy fucking fight. Um, but this guy's been there. It's like, what do you do with him? You know, he's going to be close to his on his way out. He's still high-level competition. Put him in for Sue. Let him fight for his life. And for Charles, he could fight Cody Durden. Then we had Jack Della Maddalena, man. First round TKO over Danny Robin, uh, Roberts. Performance of the night bonus. And uh, this was dominant. I mean, Jack Della came out swinging, as he typically does. He's had, I think, multiple first-round knockouts uh, or TKO finishes early. I think, if I remember, it was a body shot that basically shut Danny down. He went up against the cage. That was it. It only took Madalena, 41 total, 33 significant strikes. He had two knockdowns, fucked him up. Danny, you know, gritted it out, had to figure it out. Boom, body shot, and that was it. Danny only got five total insignificant strikes in. He went 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So Jackman extends his winning streak to 13-4-0 in the UFC. Danny extends his losing streak to two, both this year. Tough break for him. But Jack Della is on a roll. So what's next? I'd love to see fucking Jack take on Randy Brown. Could you imagine that scrap stylistically? Golly! Or Alex Morano. I think that'd be a good step up in competition either way. And Danny could take on the legend, ultimate fighter legend, Court McGee. That'd be a scrap. Moving on. Another upset. Your boy hit. That's why the Zalgas fight really crushed me. Muslim Salikov with a third round TKO over Andre Fialho. Performance of the night, deservedly so. And, uh... Muslim, man, he's got these spinning back kicks, rocking fucking Fialho's body. These guys are power strikers. Fialho landed a couple of his own shots throughout the fight. Um, I thought Muslim was, you know, his, his eye was pretty fucked up in round two, but I was surprised that Andre was able to get out of round two. He was pretty fucking rocked, saved by the bell, and it didn't take much in round three. The rest had seen enough, even though it wasn't a complete knockout. Fialho's tough, man. He'll take so many shots. He was basically knocked out standing, just kind of standing there fighting for his life. They called. He's like, what? You know, it's, it's crazy how tough some of these guys are. You have to save them as fighters, especially if you want a longer career, man. You know, let's say Fialho, they finish the third round. There's probably two and a half more minutes. How many more significant strikes is that guy going to take? Probably leading to some, some major brain issues. So, statistically, Muslim landed 77 total and 56 significant strikes. He had a takedown in three attempts, and Andre only landed 27 total and 17 significant strikes. Andre is now on a two-fight losing streak. He finishes the year two and three, one of the most active fighters, and he just started in the UFC this year, trying to make a name for himself. Brutal loss here, but got to fight a high-level competitor, and Muslim starts a new uh, winning streak. He is one and one this year himself. So what's next? I would love to see Jake Matthews versus Salikov or Michelle Pieta. Stylistically, both of those fights are going to be great. Guys that are on a roll. And for Andre, even though he's not on a roll, this would be a banger as well. Francisco Trinaldo, banger. Both of those bangers. Let's make it happen, matchmakers. 
Then we had Waldo Cortez Acosta with the unanimous decision over Chase Sherman. And uh, again, Waldo just fought. He is a fucking boxer. He took leg kicks. Damn near leg was done by the round three. He ended up getting the finish. Chase has been there. He's done bare knuckle. He's done it all. Let me put my weight on this guy. Let me try to tire him out. He did try to grapple, but it was half-assed effort. It's not good enough. You know, as a wrestler, um, if you're going to go for a takedown, you're a heavyweight, you're coming down like this. Like my takedown attempt, big boxer, I go like this. I don't even try to lift a leg or finish or keep going. You have the whole octagon. I'm like coming in like that. You're going to get pieced up. You're backing out. You got to commit to it. If you're going, you got to commit, man. Um, he did land some, some calf kicks, some leg kicks that were, uh, you know, it's really all he had working for him and he was getting pieced up a little bit. He was getting frustrated. Waldo was, you know, he's also <laughs> could pitch like 99 miles an hour when he played baseball. He's got some hand speed. He's got some hand power. Um, I just thought Chase was going to, you know, make this more of a dirty fight, an MMA fight. And that wasn't the case. Stat, uh, statistically, Chase landed 73 total, 66 significant strikes. He did have a takedown. Meanwhile, Waldo landed 149 total and 147 significant strikes. Way higher volume. Chase did get a takedown, didn't last very long. Waldo, good job, you know, battling the grappling, getting up off your back. That is not easy to do as a heavyweight. And uh, Waldo might be a problem, man. You give this kid some time, he's going to be making moves. Chase starts a new losing streak. He has one in five in his last six fights. He had been cut, got a chance on short notice to come back. Waldo is on an eight-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 and oh in the UFC. The Salsa Boy be dancing. So what's next? I would love to see Salsa Boy take on Tanner Bozer. I would probably pick Tanner Bozer, and I would probably say the same thing. Bozer's going to not just try to stand there and box with you. He's going to mix it up, be well-rounded. I don't give a fuck, though, because both of these guys throw down. It'll be fun to watch, and uh, it's a little bit step up for Mr. Salsa Boy. And for Chase, if he still is in the UFC, give him Kamaru Usman's little bigger brother, Muhammad Usman. That makes sense to me. He's bigger. He's younger. He's still a problem. And then we have the main event. Derek Lewis did not feel good. They pulled the Sergey Spivak fight. Uh, I don't know if he had too much Chick-fil-A or, you know, had bubble guts. What the hell's going on? No one really, I don't think they really determined what was up. So these guys got moved in the main event. And I had another dog, Jan Kutalaba, get rocked by Kennedy and Shukwu with a round two knockout performance of the night. <clears throat> Jan has had, a, you know, we broke this down the week before, a hell of a past few fights. He's fought a lot of guys. He's beaten some good names. He's still young. He's 28. You do not, you know, after you look at his last three years of fights, you would not expect he's 28 years old. Kennedy is Shuku, younger to the UFC, more of a prospect, even older than him. Obviously beats him, claims he's better than him. Round one, Jan looked pretty good. He didn't look as aggressive as I normally see him. And Kennedy's so much bigger, so much longer, had a big reach advantage, used that to advantage, was able to piece him up. Um, I thought Jan would be able to grapple better, but Kennedy had good defense. He's obviously been working on that. And Kennedy could be a problem, too. I've liked him since Dana White Contender Series. I just didn't think he was ready for someone who's been so experienced, and that was not the case. Statistically, it only took Kennedy 24 total and significant strikes. He did have a knockdown, fucked up Jan pretty early, and he was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts, although I don't think it was much of an attempt. Uh, Jan landed 30 total, only 9 significant. He had 2 takedowns and 8 attempts. 
he was trying to grapple again. Props to Kennedy. I, I thought he would be able to be successful in that department, but they were they weren't a lot of full fledged takedown attempts. Some of them were like, I just got fucked up. Let me grab some legs and see what happens. So Kennedy extends his winning streak to two. He's two and one this year. Uh, Kutalaba extends his losing streak to three, all in 22. Talk about ready for the new year. Again, the Hulk's only 28, though. He's still a problem. What's next? Give me Kennedy Alonzo Menafield. Sheesh, that would be a banger. Let the division shake out um, for, for Kutalaba. Pretty much everyone's booked. This isn't the deepest of weight classes. Maybe he could fight the loser of William Knight and Marcin Procneo that just got booked, but that's a while out. If I'm taking three losses in a year, though, I'm taking a good amount of time. You know, if I have more fights in my contract, I'm telling Dana, hey, I'm going to take some time. I'm 28 years old, man. I've been in there. I've taken short notice fights. I've done what I need to do. I'm working on my craft. I'm developing my skill. Give me six months. We'll talk then. What do I know, though? We'll see what happens. But this weekend, I am fired up. UFC Fight Night Orlando, 7 p.m. Pacific main card start on ESPN. And the prelims on ESPN at 4 p.m. Pacific as well. So damn near pay-per-view times all on ESPN. Free fights, giving the people what they want. And we're going to start with these amazing young women that are on a roll. I hate that they have to fight each other right now. But we got Tracy Cortez, 28 years old with a 10-1 record. And the number 13 next to her name, taking on Amanda Ribas, 29 years old, 11 and 3, and the number 15 next to her name. I mean, what a fun matchup early on the women's side of things. I mean, this is a high level fight. This could be a main card fight on a lot of cards, not the main event, but a main card fight. Amanda Ribas has been thought very highly of. Cortez is looking great, looks to be in the best shape. She's have weight cutting issues. She is engaged, if not married, to Brian Ortega. To have someone like that in your team, you've got to be developing better. She's only 28. Um, the talent here, man, the ability to make our title run is at stake, though, as they're entering their primes. A lot of, you know, I feel like the men's fighting prime is right at 30 to 35 these days, the way skills developed. It could be start getting to move a little earlier as these guys come more MMA ready. You could tell some prospects, 28, you know, they're right in their prime, 28, 32. Sean O'Malley, for an example. Uh, but for the women, I feel like that is a little too late. Uh, they get a lot more. You know, you do well in a victory coming in the UFC at 24, 25, 26. You know, maybe even a little younger. We're seeing, you know, the Aaron Blanchfields of the world. Um, so I feel like these ladies are definitely in their prime right now. So much potential. And like I said, it's a bummer that they have to fight each other. Uh, but the winner here is going to have a chance at a title run. Amanda Ribas has already been up higher in the rankings. Than Tracy because Tracy's newer to the UFC. But, you know, like Tracy takes a loss here. She's going to be out of the rankings, have to fight a couple more times to get in the rankings. You can only fight a couple times a year, most likely. It's going to be tough to be in a title conversation anytime soon. You beat Rebos, you're on your way. Rebos, you get another nice name, another prospect, you're right back into the mix of the, the middle of the rankings. Another high-quality winner right there. So a, a loss here is definitely detrimental to their careers. And I'm sure both women know that. Um, Rebos has been where Cortez is right now already. Again, a newer UFC prospect with a ton of potential. She's already had to go through adversity. And now she has to fight for a chance to move out the rankings and have that opportunity again. She suffered two losses since the beginning of 2021. You take a loss here, brutal. Amanda, she trains out of ATT. 
She's got a black belt in BJJ and judo. She's a jungle fight alum and former champion. She's on a one-fight losing streak, and four of her 11 wins are via submission, three via knockout, so seven of her 11 fin- fights via finish. For a woman, that's some high numbers. That's, that's usually more decisions. And two of her three losses are also via knockout. She is a little risque. Now, Tracy fights out of fight ready right here in Phoenix. Got to get used to the Phoenix love, right? I'm used to that Washington love. Not as many in Washington. Way bigger MMA scene here. That's why your boy's here. Try to do his thing. Tell some fighter stories. Get some fucking fight companions. Get, you know, I, I need some co-hostages. I need some other people on the pod. Spit some shit. I could banter back and forth and debate more. It'll be a ton of fun. But she trains here in Fight Ready. She has bounced from flyweight to bantamweight, but looks to make flyweight home. Like I said, she looks to be the best shape in her life. Uh, she's a Dana White Contender Series and Invicta alum. And when I really think about it, you know, I've liked what I've seen from Tracy lately. I didn't think, I thought she was kind of living off the Ortega name. And no, that's not been the case at all. She's really leveled up. Uh, She wins fights via decision a lot. And that's tough, especially in this judging age that we're in right now. A lot of these close decisions, it goes up to the judges. You can't really control shit. Amanda does have more experience against top-level competition. I think she does have an opportunity for a finish in this fight. Late. I want to think it's early. I also like that she has faced more adversity in her UFC career, which should help her grow. You, you can only learn from past failures. Fell forward, baby. And even though we haven't seen her fight since May of 2022, um, I'm going to go, you know, this is a toss-up, but I'm going to go with Reboss. I'm not putting this on a parlay. Too risky. Moving on, we have Darren the Damage Elkins. 38 years old with a 28-10 and 10 record taking on Jonathan J.S.P. Pierce, 30 years old with a 13-4 and four record. Now, this is going to be a banger. I say banger a lot. What I mean by banger, fucking high damaging shots, people getting rocked, someone's probably going to sleep. And these guys deliver great hard-fought fights. You look at their past few fights, they're fun to watch. We get a veteran who is definitely still a tough out. Darren has proven that lately. And we get the younger J.S.P. who's in his prime and ready to roll. He's 30 years old. He's ready to get up and fight the best of the best. Jonathan also trains out of fight ready. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series and Bellator alum. He's on a four-fight winning streak. He hasn't lost since October of 2019, and nine of his 13 wins are via knockout. Darren trains out of Team Alpha Male. He has a D2 wrestling background out of Wisconsin Parkside. He has the most fights in UFC featherweight division with 24, the most decision wins in featherweight division with 11, the most takedowns uh, landed in the featherweight division with 54. Pretty crazy that he has that record. Most submission attempts in the UFC featherweight division at 22, but I guess if you fight 38 times, that'll get you some numbers. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Nine of his 27 wins are via knockout. So a good amount, not a high, high amount. But this is going to be a fun one, man. Uh, Darren's going to test Jonathan. A lot of people, I, I think he's like a minus 300 or bigger odds. A lot of people think JSC is probably going to work him. I think Darren makes him dig deep. He could take damage. He could get back to grappling, get those takedowns, all those records he has. But Jonathan, being in his prime, I just see him being able to outlast and out-endure the damage Elkins. For that reason, I'm taking GSP. I am putting him on my parlay. We are marking that down, and we are getting that bread. Moving on. We got Michael 
The Menace Johnson, 36 years old with a 21 and 18 record, taking on Mark Bone Crusher DeCasey, 29 years old with a 16 and 5 record. Now, this is another vet with a great resume taking on a young fighter in his prime, ready to make a run at the rankings, a new and improved Bone Crusher. Mark trains out of ATT. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a two-fight winning streak both this year, and six of his 16 wins are via knockout. I probably don't need to tell you Michael's resume because he's an OG, but Michael is a southpaw. He trains out of Killcliffe FC, again, previously Sanford. He has a, a Juco wrestling back, background at a Merrimack Community College. He is a Titan FC and Ultimate Fighter alum. He had the 2017 fight of the year against Justin Gaethje and the round of the year, which was the second round of that fight. Gaethje's on all the fight of the years, man. He's called the fucking human highlight for a reason. He's on a one-fight losing streak but and is 1-5 since 2018. Nine of his 20 wins are uh, via knockout. And nine of his 18 losses are via submission. Now, Mark has gone through a little bit of a changeup. He took some L's and realized that just pure striking ain't going to do it. He's got a, a new trick. His improved wrestling and grappling has helped him after the two hard-fought losses. If the bone crusher decides to clang and bang with Michael Johnson, that's where the fight's going to be a ton of fun for us fight fans. But it can allow the menace to find his mark and get the knockout victory that he loves to get. I think Mark knows better. I think he's going to look to wrestle him early. Wear out that gas tank. Get that stamina bar down. That's going to open up his striking. It should be a well-rounded affair by the bone crusher. And to be honest, I'm not sure how many more fights are on Johnson's contract, but a loss here, he could be on his way out. You know, a knockout here, that's not going to look good. He's only 36, but he's had freaking... Almost 40 fights, 39 fights, and some battles, man. He's been in some wars. For that reason, I'm taking the bone crusher. I'm putting to Casey on my parlay. We marking that ish, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We had Clay the Carpenter Guida, 40 years old with a 37 and 19 record, taking on Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. Also, well, not also, but 39 years old and a 14 and 5 record. We get a veteran showdown here. This is going to be an interesting matchup. I'm surprised we haven't seen these two face face up before. Uh, but that's because Scott, you, you know, 14 and 5 record, way less fights than Clay Guida at 37 and 19. Motherfucker has 56 fights, mostly in the UFC, and Holtzman's been in other promotions. Clay is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's already in the uh, was already inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2019. He had the 2007 fight of the year. 2007, he had the fight of the year against Roger Huerta. And in 2009, probably a top 10 fight ever, Diego Sanchez. He's a Strikeforce alum and former champion. WEC, King of the Cage of alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He's 2-2 two two since 2021. 14 of his 37 wins are via submission. 11 of his 22 losses are also via submission. This man was in his prime when I started in the UFC when BJ Penn was in his prime. Just shows you how some fighters can outlast, and he's gotten some wins of late. Scott trains out of the MMA lab. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is an XFC alum and former champion. He is on a two-fight losing streak, and he hasn't won since February of 2020. 
Now, Scott's coming off back-to-back early knockouts, which is never a good sign, especially when you're picking fights. At his age, though, I believe he has more left in the tank. He's fought that high-level competition in those knockouts. These aren't no slouches. Now, Clay's been active. He's been up and down. His fight style is just fucking grind you out. He is the carpenter. This is a very uh, tough fight to pick. I think the loser could be on their way out. I mean, these guys are fucking 40 years old. If I have to pick, though, I'm going with Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. Less damage. I think he's going to be more durable. I am not putting this on the parlay. I'm going to enjoy it as a fight fan. Then we have Angela Overkill Hill. Another older, active fighter. 37 years old, 14-12 and 12 record. Still ranked at number 12. Tickling Emily Gordinha Ducate. 28 years old with a pristine 1-0 record. And the number 13 next to her name. Pretty simple here. You get a vet. Prospect matchup in the prelims. Angela, sadly, is basically the gatekeeper of the division now. She gets to take up all these young and up-and-comers and see how good they are. Angela trains out of Alliance MMA. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She is an ultimate fighter and a Victor alum, where she was the former champion. She has the most bouts in UFC women's strawweight division history with 20. She's tied with Jessica Andrade for the most bouts in UFC women's history with 21. She has the most decision bouts in UFC women's strawweight division history with 12. The most total fight time in UFC women's history with just under five hours, four hours and 53 minutes. It's crazy. F- fucking down here. Five hours of fighting. Five minutes and I'm gassed. Probably two minutes and I'm fucking gassed. You know, started jujitsu, first live rolls. I'm like fucking gassed, man. It's crazy. Five hours of fight time. Fighters are different breed. She's on a one-fight winning streak. She is 1-1 this year, 2-3 since 2021, and five of her 14 wins are via knockout. Emily has a Muay Thai, BJJ, and Taekwondo background. She has a black belt in BJJ and Taekwondo. She's a Bellator and Invicta FC alum. She was a former champ at Invicta. She's on a four-fight winning streak. She's 1-0 in the UFC. And four of her 12 wins are via submission. All I know for Emily was her last fight. And she pieced up Jessica Penne. And Penne is still pretty tough. I believe she's going to do it the same, uh, the same against Hill. If it stays striking. As a striker, she's just going to be too fast. She's going to be too powerful for, for Angela. And Hill's scrappy. If she could take her down, keep her there, things will get interesting. I'm not betting on that, though. I'm betting on the younger Ducate. I am taking her on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Nico the Hybrid Price. This is a deep fucking fight night card. Orlando, show out. 33 years old, 15 and 6 record, taking on Phil the Fresh Prince Row. 32 years old with a 9 and 3 record. Here we have a fight with two men, both in their primes. Definitely going different directions right now. Nico is basically fighting for his UFC career while Phil is trying to continue to move up the ladder, get that record up, and and really fight for some paydays. Nico has a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 3-1 since 2019. He hasn't fought in a year, which you would think he's taken that time to improve after the skid. Uh, 10 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses also via knockout. 
Phillip is on a two-fight winning streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. Five of his nine wins are via knockout, four via submission. All nine of his nine wins via finish. That's what I fucking like to see. Guess what? In this fight, he also has a four and a half inch reach advantage. Another fu- uh, tough fight to pick. When guys back against the wall, it's the best version they'll get, usually, right? If they care enough. They're in it to win it. But I'm going to go with Rose striking. He's going to use that length. I think he's going to pick him apart. Three round fight. He's going to find a way to, de- to the decision victory. I am taking Rose on my parlay. We are marking the fresh prints down, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main card. Now we're in the main card, stacked prelim card. That prelim card is damn near like a regular fight night main card without the main event. But we're starting this one off with a scrap. We got Eric, ya boy, Anders, 35 years old with a 14 and 7 records. Love that nickname. Uh, they talked about it. Uh, Eric Anders was on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast not that not long ago. And he goes, I love what he says. Yeah, boy. Uh, anyways, he's taking on Kyle, the Darce Knight Dacus. 29 years old with an 11 and 3 record. And this is really just a clash of styles in the main card. We get a knockout artist versus a submission artist, both in their primes. That's what MMA is fun. What's going to happen? Well, Eric... He's got a kickboxing and BJJ background. He trains out of fight ready with a brown belt and BJJ. He used to be a linebacker at Alabama. He won a natty there. Uh, he had a short stint in, in professional football, including the NFL, CFL, and AFL. Getting into fighting, he was a Bellator and LFA alum. He is currently on a two-fight losing streak and is 1-2-1 one, and one since 2021. And eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, Kyle has a black belt in BJJ, purple belt in Muay Thai. He is a king of the cage, ring of combat, and cage warriors alum, uh, former champion in cage warriors with two successful title defenses. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-1 one one since 2022. Or no, 1-1 one one this year. Nine of his 11 wins are via submission. Now, Kyle's coming off a quick knockout loss. I thought he looked great against Jamie Pickett. He looked great in the Kevin Holland fight until it was ruled a no contest. Eric has definitely suffered some tough decisions. You know, he bounced a light heavyweight, try to find the best path for him. I think Kyle is more of a well-rounded fighter. I think he's going to fight, find a path to victory here, but I am not putting this on the parlay. This is a close one, ladies and gents. And then we have the short notice fight. We got Jack the Joker Hermanson. 34 years old with a 23-7 and seven record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Roman Dolidzi, 34-year-old fighter. And I did not put his record on there. With a, let's see, 11-1 and one record. This man is on a roll. Now, although this is a short... Uh, Notice matchup, right? Derek Brunson uh, pulled out due to injury. This is going to be a fucking scrap, man. It, it, it might be more fun that it's a short notice fight for fight fans, maybe not for the fighters. Roman's out of tear, man. Um, he had some highlight knockouts recently. He just fought recently. I mean, I have it up right now. He just fought Phil Haas, a very good Phil Haas. Pieced him up. I think he fucking shredded his knee, if I remember right. 
And now he gets Jack, a guy that's battled some of the best in the middleweight division, you know, on the, the edge of his, his prime. And he has to keep the momentum going. He's been struggling to find opponents. He, he got hurt. Brunson gets hurt. This is the third fight this year against another man in his prime. So it should be a fun one. It should be a fun one. Jack is a Bellator and Cage Warriors alum. He was a former Cage Warriors champion with two successful title defenses. He has the most significant strikes landed in a in a five-round middleweight bout with 148 against Ronaldo Souza. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's 2-1 since 2021. And 11 of his 23 wins are via knockout. Roman's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of AKA. They've been putting up dubs, American Kickboxing Academy. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He's 5-1 in the UFC, and six of his 11 wins are via knockout. Now, again, man, Roman, two first-round knockouts. Only has one UFC loss, but he hasn't faced the level of competition that the Joker has. That's where it always gets interesting. I do believe Roman does have a striking advantage in this fight. Slight striking advantage. I think he's going to mix it up. I think Jack's going to look to try to get this down, get this up against the cage. He's been grappling a lot lately. I don't think the short notice helps Roman. I think he's going to be swinging for the fences and look to get the finish early. And I think Jack's going to have to just weather the storm in round one. Jack gets out of round one. I'm taking the Joker for the... For, since I don't get to see round one, I'm taking the Joker... I am putting them on my parlay. We are marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And then we have this fucking fight. Ty's a savage for taking this fight. We get Ty Bam Bam Tuavasa, 29 years old with a 15 and 4 record, and the number four next to his name, taking on Sergey Pavlovich, 30 years old with a 16 and 1 record, and the number five next to his name. Oh, these are heavyweights. Usually means it's a fucking, you know, banger. Big bombs. Someone's going down. But it's all going to come down to Pavlovich wrestling Tai Tuavasa. Can he keep him down? I love Tai Tuavasa, but he's not great at getting off his back. And we're not talking like a decent grappler. We're talking world-class grappler. This guy is shredded. He's not your typical heavyweight. He's not a big boy. He's not a, you know, big country Roy Nelson looking motherfucker. He looks like a fucking, you know, fucking, uh, um, why do I don't want to say British fucking, uh, golly. Blanken. A Russian fucking savage. Couldn't even think of Russian. I'm blanking. This guy is built like a fucking shred machine. I think this is a terrible matchup for Ty. And Ty has definitely been on a heater, been knocking people out. I've bet against him multiple times. Bam Bam has showed how good his striking is. He showed he could handle, handle damage. That Cyril Gon fight, he got outclassed, but he kept coming. Some of those body shots he ate, he's a tough motherfucker, man. I don't think he's going to worry about the world of class of striking in this fight. Sergey can strike, though. But it's going. he's going to be a lot of problems for everyone in this division because... He is a clash of styles. Everyone else wants to clang and bang, pick you apart, keep you at distance, load up the knockout shot. This guy ain't going to let you get comfortable. Now, he has been prone to want to stand, and he's, he has gotten beat, obviously 16-1, but I think he's just going to take down 
Ty over and over, ground and pound, try to do what he can to get the, the TKO finish on top. Ty trains out of TK MMA and fitness. His last four fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. He's a fucking must-watch machine. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 4-1 and one since 2021. Active heavyweight. 13 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are via knockout. Classic heavyweight statistics. Sergey has a combat sambo background. He trains out of Eagles MMA. Those two things equal fucking greatness lately. He is a fight night global alum and former champion. He's on a four-fight winning streak. He is 4-1 in the UFC. His only loss was against Alistair Overeem, where he tried to strike with him. Overeem caught him. 13 of his 16 wins are via knockout. You know, I didn't even talk about this. He's got a nine-inch reach advantage, man. Five-and-a-half leg-inch reach advantage. Tayo obviously had very... uh, short legs and arms compared to Cyril Gaon, who had a big advantage as well. But Cyril Gaon's not a grappler like this guy. For that reason, I'm taking Sergey. I love me Bam Bam, but I'm taking Pavlovich. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. This guy's a problem. And finally, the flyweight's getting some love. Usually they're early in the prelims, ranked fucking fighters, and the fights deliver. I expect this one to do the same thing. We got Mathus Nicolau, 29 years old with an 18-3-1 record and the number six next to his name, taking on Matt Danger Snell, 32 years old with a 16-6 and record and the number seven next to his name. And I'm just pumped for the flyways to get some love here on the main card. This has big-time impl- implications. This is a chance for these guys to get a title run. Uh, Nicolau has it. Schnell kind of has. Uh, they're both in their primes, 32-29. Mathus is a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter Brazil and Brave FC alum. He's on a five-fight winning streak. Five of his 17 wins are via submission. He is 8-1 and one in the UFC, and both of his losses are via knockout. Matt trains out of AKA. He has a black belt in karate, a purple belt in BJJ. His last two fights are fight of the night. He is a Legacy FC alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's 2-1-1 one, one since 2021. Nine of his 16 wins are via submission. Three of his six losses are via knockout. And he has a four-inch reach advantage. Now, this is going to be a wild fight. Flyweights are always wild. There's going to be lots of fucking um, scattered positions, 50-50 positions. I'm sure it will be back and forth early. Matt looks great against Sumoda Harry. That was a fucking savage fight. I think Methus is better, though. I think he's a better striker. I think he will do enough to dig deep and get the victory. I do see this going to decision. I'm taking Nicolau. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then we have the co-main. Oh, boy, oh, boy, is this going to be fun. I got to see Bam Bam Barbarina in Vegas for my 30th against fucking Robbie Ruthless Lawler. Now we get to see Brian Bam Bam Barbarina, the 30-year-old, 33-year-old fighter with an 18-8 and record, take on another banger, Rafael Dos Anjos, the 38-year-old fighter with a 31-14 and record and the number seven next to his name. These guys are like 
the champs of putting on scraps for the fans. Brian's in the octagon. I'm tuning in. RDA's in the octagon. I'm fucking tuning in. And RDA just fought Rafael Fazeev, one of the biggest up-and-coming younger fighters, and damn near fucking pulled it off. There's a reason this is the co-main. This is the people's main event. Brian is a blue belt in BJJ. Three of his last four fights have been fight of the night. That's how you know. He delivers, man. 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout. He is a King of the Cage alum. RDA has a BJJ background. He's a Southpaw fighter with a fourth degree black belt in BJJ. He's got a black Prajid in Muay Thai, a former UFC lightweight champion. He's got the most unanimous decision wins in UFC history with 11. The most unanimous decision wins in UFC lightweight history with seven. The second most total fight time in UFC history with just under eight hours, seven hours and 53 minutes. Tied for the seventh most wins in UFC history at 20. Second most decision fights in UFC history with 20. He is a submission grappling gold and bronze medalist. He's on a one fight losing streak. He's two and two since 2020 and 10 of his 31 wins are via submission. Now, RDA showed in that physique fight, he's got a lot left in the tank. He is still a very high-level fighter. Brian has definitely improved. I don't think many people would see it, would have thought that he would be where he is. He stepped up a lot. I even think that the three-round fight, you know, RDA has fought a lot of five rounds, including the physique fight. I think this benefits Brian. It's going to be a tall order for him, though. RDA is good everywhere. He's not just a striker, leg kicking everywhere. He's fucking good. For that reason, I'm taking the legend. I'm taking RDA. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then the main event. The out-of-retirement event. No, I just shit's clowning. Kevin, come on, man. We got Steven Wonderboy Thompson, 39 years old with a 16-6-1 record, and the number six next to his name, taking on Kevin Trailblazer, a.k.a. Big Mouth Holland, the 30-year-old fighter with a 23-8 and record. Now, I was already clowning, but there's a lot of fun storylines here. Kevin was going to retire, right? He, he took that short notice against Kamzat, got smoked, wanted to retire. Really, he wanted more money. Uh, retire means more money, a.k.a. Henry Cejudo. Um, he probably got offered a good amount of money to take this fight. I don't think he was ever planning on retiring unless he made the money he wanted. Well, Wanderboy suffers a loss here. He might head to retirement. He's fought some grapplers lately. He wanted a non-grappler. And for the most part, Kevin is a striker. And Kevin, he's got that. He wants to beat you at, his, at your own game. I think he's going to be willing to keep this on the feet. He's going to want to beat Wonderboy at his own game. And stylistically, man, this is an MMA fan favorite showdown. This should be some high-level striking. So Wonderboy's getting what he wants. This is the perfect opponent. This is the unretirement fight. And we'll see what happens. A lot on the line for both men. Even though Kevin's only 30, he should not be wanting to retire. He should take multiple more fights after this. But if he gets waxed by Wonderboy again, maybe, I don't know, he'll, he'll re-retire. Now, Steven has a kickboxing and karate background. He has a fifth-degree black belt and Teshuen, Teshuen Ryu Karate Tetsuin, Tetsuin, Tetsushin Ryu Karate, a black belt in American kickboxing and a brown belt in BJJ. He's obviously a former kickboxing champion. 
Two of his last four fights are performance of the night or fight of the night. This guy usually shows up unless he's getting straight wrestled. Seven of his 16 wins are via knockout. He's on a two-fight losing streak, and he hasn't won in two years. AKA, that's why I don't want a grappler. Kevin has a second-degree black belt in Kung Fu and a black belt in BJJ. He's a King of the Cage, Bellator, LFA, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He was the 2020 Male Fighter of the Year and Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. He is tied for the most wins in a calendar year with five, but he did have the most bouts in a 12-month period, which was seven. He's on a one-fight losing streak. 13 of his 23 wins are via knockout, six of them via submission, so 19 of his 23 wins have been via finish. He is 2-1 this calendar year, but the loss was to Kamzat Chemaev. <clears throat> I really don't know what to think about this fight. I really do have a feeling Wonder Boy is going to find a way. But besides losing to grapplers, Big Mouth has looked high level too. He's, I feel like he's drastically improved, although it's hard to like see that drastic improvement against Chemaev. He's barely entering his prime. I think he could take more damage and is more durable at this stage in his career. For that reason, I'm taking Big Mouth. Get that retirement out your mouth. I'm avoiding him on the parlay. Fun card, though. I mean, geez. The main event, the Bam Bam RDA fight, the flyweight fight, Tai Tai, or Tai Tai Tai, Bam Bam versus Sergey Pavlovich. So many good fights. The short notice, um, Hermanson fight. The, the, the prelims are stacked with early talent. I'm fired up to have UFC back a week off. I took vacation. I'm back in my routine. I'm ready to just kick back, put my feet up. Watch some scraps. Next weekend, back to pay-per-view, we get UFC 282, headlined by that change of uh, light heavyweight championship. Jan Blakovich, Megomed Ankalaev. We're about to see how good Ankalaev is. Um, that will be, obviously, pay-per-view with prelims on ESPN2. Your boy's fired up. We're back in action. Enjoy the fights because there's a couple-week break at the end of the month before the new year. Going to have to maybe do some... Some fun things, fights of the year. Uh, do some recaps. I like to do who I think will be the champions of each division next year. We'll look back how I did last year. We'll see you guys next week. Rebranding coming soon. Stay tuned.